So I'm going to preface this by saying some of this may sound familiar to some of you, and that's probably because I said it before. <laughs> but you know, I was thinking about it, and I was like, well, do I apologize for repeating parts of this sermon again? And I was like, no, I'm not going to apologize. Mainly because um, they say, you know, you have to hear something like seven times. I don't know if that's an accurate number, but uh, before it actually sticks with you. So I'm guessing you guys haven't heard this that many times yet. So uh, I'm going to say some of this again. And if you've heard it already, it will be a reminder at the very least. Um, Maybe... You weren't listening the first time, so you're like, I don't remember that at all. Okay, that's good. And for some of you, this will be brand new. Um, So um, I I shared a message a few weeks ago. I don't even remember uh, when it was, to be honest. So if that's any indication, then I think we're all going to be okay. (laughs) Um, But I shared a message about holiness, and I want to, I want to, revisit that tonight, and I want to kind of expand on the original uh, message that I gave, and what I, what I want to talk about is, um, I want to answer a few questions with that. The first question is, um, is, is it important? Is holiness important? If so, why? Um, it's one of these words that kind of gets thrown around a lot. I think it's a word that has um, for for perhaps good reason at times been uh, a word that has had negative connotations to it, right? We we kind of label someone as holier than thou when they have this attitude that uh, would seem to um, project judgment on others. Um, I think it's a word even in the church that perhaps is misunderstood. And so I think it's okay that we're revisiting this and I want to again, dive into a few things. One, um, is it important? If so, why? And um, what does it look like? And so if you go with me, First John 3, I want to read this um, first part of this passage. I'm going to break it down a little bit. It says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Is this on? It sounded like it got quieter. Can you guys hear me all right? Got... Oh, okay. All right. Okay. You can hear me now? Okay, good. <laughs> um, so, a couple things here. Um, in In the past, I've read this passage and thought to myself, this sounds like John is talking about this future time with Jesus when he comes um, back. 
uh, the second coming of Christ, right? And he, he uses this terminology. He says, but when Christ appears, right, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And I can't say 100% if that's uh, what he's talking about or not, but recently I read this, and I kind of asked the question, what if this is not just talking about this future time and place when we'll see Christ again, but what if this is talking about also a present reality for us? In the same way that because Christ is with us and he's present and alive, this thought of Christ appearing to us in some way, um, and, and, and as it relates to that, this being relevant for here and now. So I'm, I'm submitting to you that I'm reading this under that consideration this evening. And um, I'm going to read another passage that I think sort of validates, further validates the possibility of that. And with that, hopefully brings some relevancy to how we can apply it. So, um, first of all, I think this first part of this passage is just good for us as a template for how we can let God love us. So we talk about God's love all day long, um, but sometimes I'm not sure we actually know how to actualize the process of letting him love us. And um, if, if you read about God's love, if you hear about his love, but it doesn't seem to be impacting your heart, if it doesn't seem to mean something to you, then it may be possible that it's not connecting with you. And I love what John says here because he starts by saying, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And I would say there's this process of actually letting God love us by letting the truth of what he says and who he is and how he feels about us um, be present. Be present. Sometimes we just need to let the love of God be expressed through that and let it be present for ourselves. And actually, that's what John is doing for the church that he's writing this letter to. To. He's reminding them, this is, this is what God has done for you. This is who he is. This is what he has poured out. His lavish love is yours, and he's called you his children. And in the process of that, there's a response. And so letting God love us is letting, one of the ways we do that is let him, um, let his truth be present for us, and then we respond to it. We agree with it. We say, God is true, and I believe it. And so he says, and that is what we are. So God says something about us. He's done something for us. He's accomplished something through Jesus. And one of the ways we let him love us is to let those things be present in our hearts, in our minds. Let them be present for us, real for us, and in front of us. And then come into agreement with this thing. God, I thank you that I am your child. I thank you that you loved me so much that you went to the cross on my behalf so that I could become part of your family. And I believe that. And I may not feel it right now, but I believe it. It's true. I am your child. You are a good father and you love me and you've poured it out and you're not withholding it. That's one way that you can engage with um, the truth of what God says about you and let him love you. So that was sermon number one. Um, sermon number two, holiness. There's a process that he talks about here that I think is really important to um, giving us a picture of what holiness is meant to look like. And um, very simply, I want to say this, that, that holiness is actually... Um, 
pertains to us growing to look more like Jesus. The process of walking out holiness, of actually seeing it actualized in your life, is the process by which you are becoming more and more like Jesus. Okay? So really simple, put that out there. But there is something that happens before that that gets you there. Okay? And this is what he says. He says, We are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So he says, we don't know what we will be, right? You could apply that to the the future when Jesus comes back, but you could apply that till next year, right? We don't know what we will be. We don't know fully yet what we are becoming, right? We know who we are. But we don't know what we will be. There's this process that's taking place in our lives that's actually a really good thing. Because um, we're all in process and we haven't arrived. And there are things that we look at in our lives and they're not the way we'd like them to be. But guess what? That's not all there is. That's not the end of the story. We don't know what we will be yet. But actually that reminder is good news for us when we realize that the truth that God is still working in our lives. He's still doing something in us and through us. And so what we will be hasn't been made known yet. So there's actually something good that's continuing to happen. And who we will be, even though we don't know it, we know it's going to be good. Even though we don't know what it looks like yet, we know it's going to be good because of who God is in our life and what he's already doing. And so our confidence isn't, if if we're lacking confidence, if we're lacking hope, if we're lacking um encouragement, perhaps it's because we're stuck too much in our current situation. We need to be reminded that what we are right now isn't what we will be, and God is actually working something out in us that's good. Oh, I like you guys. (laughs) Can you come back? (laughs) Take no people. (laughs) I like it. It is good to have you here. Welcome. Um, it hasn't been made known yet, but, but this is what he says. When Christ appears, we shall be like him because we're going to see him as he is. And I want to suggest to you that that's actually part of the here and now process. That Jesus wants to show up in a way in your life that when you see him for who he is and you see something about him that you didn't see before, because guess what? You don't know all that there is to know about who he is. If he's really God, which he is, then you don't know all there is to know uh, know about him yet. And that's good news too. And he wants to invite you into this place of continuing to discover what he's like. So this isn't just for the end of the road when you go to see him face to face. This is for here and now. This is dynamic relationship with God, which is what we have because of Jesus. What is available to us because of what he's done. And as surely as he is alive, he wants to reveal something new about who he is to you. And what John says is that when that happens, when Christ appears to you in that way, through a new understanding of who he's always been, that something happens for you. Something changes for you. 
He says, you can't stay the same when that happens. He says, when Christ appears, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. So when you see Jesus for who he is, something happens. You become like him in that way. Something happens because you now have an invitation to actually take on the thing he's showing you and let it be part of who you are now. I don't know how all that works, but that's what he's saying. When we discover something new about Jesus, it actually is meant to do something in us. It's meant to change us. It's meant to bring us closer to the reality of who he is. That's pretty cool. And I would argue that that's actually the process of holiness taking root in your life. And so essential to this is that we would discover more of who Jesus is. See, we have to have our perspective focused on the right thing. I want to I want to um, jump over to uh, Hebrews that puts this a different way. I'm going to jump around to two passages, okay, that kind of reinforce some of this thought. Uh, actually, before the Hebrews, uh, psych, faked you out. Uh, let's go to Second Corinthians 3, okay? And uh, I said there was another passage that I felt like reinforces this same idea again, in case you're wondering, well, is that really what that says? It'd be cool if it is, but... I'm not sure. Second Corinthians three, seventeen and eighteen, it says this. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Do you see the similarity? It sounds different, but it's, he's talking about the same thing. He says, um, we who are now beholding, okay, the Lord's glory, contemplating the Lord's glory with unveiled face. He's talking, he's referencing, um, he's referencing Moses and this interaction that he had with God where he was meeting with him one-on-one and and, and something changed in Moses. Do you remember that story? If you don't, uh, Old Testament for you. Not going to go there tonight. But something changed in him when he met with God. So much so that he had to put a veil over his face. Um, his face was bright and shiny. <laughs> it was the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord as Moses met with him rubbed off on him. So that Moses was different after that meeting. And he's pulling that comparison to say, first of all, he says unveiled face, which is to say that the diminishing that happened for Moses isn't happening for us. Moses wore the veil because he didn't want the people to see that the glory of God was diminishing uh, in return um, after that encounter, as great as it was. And he says, in fact, it's increasing for us. The glory of God in our lives is increasing, increasing. And we don't have to be ashamed or afraid that it's wearing off or it's wearing out. But he says this, as we, he says, we contemplate the Lord's glory. And in that we are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory. So 
again, it's a similar idea that when we behold who he is, when we focus our thoughts and our minds and our imaginations and our hearts on who God is, that something rubs off on us, something changes in us, and we actually are being transformed in those moments. So that's why it's so important that we actually put ourselves to connect with God in that way. Because I would argue that holiness isn't about, first and foremost, some things for you to do, but it's about actually who you are becoming as you connect with God, as you behold who he is. So in that way, it's actually all rooted to relationship. It's, rela- it's ro- rooted in knowing him. And as you know him, as you begin to know who he is and how beautiful he is, you'll want to know him more and you will be changed in those moments. Okay, now I want to go back to that passage, okay, First John 3. And some of you are like, what about the Hebrews? We'll get there eventually. <laughs> um, 1 John 3, at the end of this, something really interesting. He says, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. So uh, there's this other aspect to holiness. Holiness is the work that God is doing in us to make us more and more like him. But it's also something that we do. It's also something that we do to put ourselves in a place to be able to see him for who he is. Have I confused you yet? It's interesting that in light of this thing of being able to see God, and as we see him to be like him and transformed by that, that the end of this would be all who have this hope, that what's the hope of seeing him for who he is and being transformed by that, purify themselves. I thought that's what Jesus is doing as we see him. (laughs) All right. Now that you're confused, let's go to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, verse 14. It says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will We'll see the Lord. So why is holiness important? It's important because it's one of the ways, it's the main way that we're able to see Jesus for who he is without anything in the way. So that when we see him for who he is, we're changed into more and more of who he is. (laughs) (laughs) so wait a second is he doing it are we doing and i would say it's actually both so first of all let's just back up a second to say that um holiness is first and foremost a distinction it's an identity it's a um it's it's who you are now holiness means to be set apart and, and when God says, be holy as I am holy, the only way that you can actually respond to that and do it is if first God did something to allow you to, to, to do it. God did something to, um, 
to allow that to even be possible, that he would say, be holy as I am. Do you realize, like, how crazy of a request that is? God is saying, be like me. God is saying, be like me. And do you realize a, a whole people tried to be like him year in, year out, exhausting, and didn't work? That, those words were actually first spoken to the nation of Israel. Be holy as I am holy. But you know what they found out? We can't do it. We cannot do it. God speaks those words again in First Peter to the church. As if to redeem them, to say, it's still possible. It's possible. How is it possible now? Because it actually is possible because of Jesus. So when we talk about holiness and we talk about being able to see him, first of all, and in seeing him be more like him, Jesus is the one that affords us that opportunity. You realize in the Old Testament, holy wasn't just a distinction. It was the place where God resided. In the temple, it was called the Holy of Holies. That was where the presence of God resided. And guess what? You couldn't go there. And it was a very clear reminder of just how separate God was, how other he was from us. And Jesus, he tears down that separation. So the very conversation of holiness and us being able to be holy, like it only happens because Jesus did something about it so that we could have it, so it could be our identity now. That's where you guys say amen. (laughs) But along with that, there's something for us to do. So here's the question. Why holiness? Why why are we pursuing it? Why are we pursuing this desire to want to look more like Jesus? Why are we pursuing um, making choices in our lives that would reflect who he is? Why do we want to be like him? I would say what this Hebrews 12 tells us is that at the core of pursuing this, it has to be about wanting to know him more. It can't be about you wanting to look better. It has to be about you wanting to know him more. And the fruit of wanting to know him more shows up in your life in a certain way. Are you with me? So the why of holiness is really important. Because if we, if we get that wrong, then we can be pursuing things that seem to be like God, but for all the wrong reasons, all the reasons that have nothing to do with God. And there were uh, people that did that, and there are people that still do that. Um, there's this thing called the church, and it happens all the time, where we are trying to do the things that we think look like God, but we're not doing them to get at God. We're doing them because we think that's what it's supposed to look like to live for God. So if our why isn't, Jesus, I want to know you, then we miss the point. And anything we're doing, it could be the best things, but if we're not doing them for that reason, then we miss the point. And, and I don't think God is like, yay, I'm so glad you're doing this. Because at the end of the day, it's all about knowing him more. And that's why in Hebrews, he brings it down, breaks it down to that. He says, without holiness, we won't see the Lord. So that's where actually 
our work in this comes into play. So our motivation is, God, I want to see you. And what Hebrews 12 tells us is there are things that can keep you from seeing God the way he, he is, seeing him for who he truly is. So God has afforded us the opportunity to know him. God has given us that privilege. He said, you are holy, now be holy. Pursue me, because you can now know me. You can know me now, so get to know me. But he, he warns us that there are things that can get in the way of knowing who he is. And in getting in the way, what happens is that it hinders our ability to see him, which hinders our ability to know him, which hinders our ability to become more like him. So part of this pursuit of holiness is actually protecting this relationship in a way where anything that would get in the way of our ability to see him clearly we let him deal with it. That's what I think Hebrews 12 is saying. So make every effort to live in peace and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And then he gives a list of things that I would say are examples of, of things that if they enter our lives, they will hinder our ability to see God clearly. And in not being able to see him clearly will hinder our ability to become more like him in this way. So let's just look at those examples real quick, and we're going to close. He says, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So this is an example of the opposite of holiness taking root in someone's life, and as a result, um, having an effect on the people around you. Actually, you know, when you walk like Jesus, it will have a, positive effect not only in your life but on the lives of the people around you and what he says here is when we fall short of grace and when we live in bitterness that it causes trouble for us and for others that defiles us and others and so he says see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God what does that mean I believe that means very simply that we never stop extending God's grace to ourselves and others We never stop extending God's grace to ourselves and others. So again, if we want to talk about letting him love us, one of the best ways we let him love us is we actually receive his grace in our lives. You weren't meant to be independent. You weren't meant to be self-sufficient. You weren't meant to do this on your own. And so in the moments, especially in the moments where you feel like you're not living up to the call of God, the standard of God in your life, what he's saying is don't compound that problem by falling short of God's grace, by not receiving it in your life. And with that, he talks about this bitter root. And, and bitterness is actually one of the ways that we... Um, we prove that we, in fact, haven't let God's grace sink in. Bitterness is one of the ways we prove that we haven't let God's grace and his forgiveness sink in because it means that we're holding something or holding something against somebody. Bitterness is, is holding an offense against someone, holding an offense. It could be against yourself. It could be against God. It could be against someone around you. And so he says, don't fall short of God's grace. Because if you live short of it, you're not going to be able to see him. If you live in bitterness, you're not going to be able to see him 
for who he is. And that's why Jesus talks so seriously, so soberly about forgiveness, about unforgiveness specifically. He says you can't, if you want to follow me, you can't live that way. You can't live in unforgiveness. Because by very nature, when you say you're a child of God, you're saying I've received forgiveness that I haven't deserved. And, and I'm going to extend that. It's twofold. It's like Christianity 101, but it's, uh, you realize, you know, some of the simplest stuff are the hardest things. And so to walk in holiness here on the other side of this is an example of what it actually means to walk in holiness. It means we're, we're going to live in the grace of God and we're, we're not going to take offense even when someone wrongs us because we have received something different. And, and by doing so, you will continue to see God. Because guess what? You will see God in a powerful way when you extend forgiveness to somebody that doesn't deserve it. And then you're going to be reminded and celebrating all over again the forgiveness that you received because you see the power of it in, in extending it to someone else. I can promise you that. So he's saying, don't let these things creep into your life because... If, if they do, they will hinder your ability to see God. And vice versa, if you protect this place and your walk with him, you're going to protect the place of being able to see him for who he is. He goes on to say, see that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau. And I, I gave this, um, I'm not going to, I don't have a can of, of soup this time for those of you who were here last time. Um, we're not going to go too far into Esau tonight but you can read about it in the old testament and basically i believe what he's saying there is he's saying don't trade that of eternal value for something fleeting don't give up what you have that is um worth immeasurable worth for something that is uh here today gone tomorrow something that just doesn't even compare in its worth and that's what Esau did. Esau said, this thing called inheritance, what is it to me? He didn't value it. He didn't value this thing that was of eternal significance, of, of uh, significance beyond his life. And instead he said, you know what? I will give you that if you just give me a meal because he was hungry. And so he traded this thing that had lasting significance for something immediate. And I think it's, it's, a, it's a warning for us, and it's also a reminder for us of what we have, what we have in this relationship with Jesus and what we're actually protecting in this thing called walking out holiness. We're protecting something of eternal significance and value. And um, there are moments where we lose sight of that and we, we trade it in for something cheap. He's saying, don't do that. Protect it. Okay? All right. I want to close in prayer. And I just want to close with the prayer that our desire would be um, not personal betterment, not uh, trying to fix something.
already put you to work. Okay, thank you. Oh, man, what would I do without you guys? Thank you. All right, we're going to pray. Um, I'm hands-free. <laughs> um, let's just close our eyes, bow our heads. And I think for me, the reminder this week was just that my why would be what it's supposed to be. That in this, in the day-to-day walking it out and the desire to make good choices and decisions and, and the desire to protect my heart and to um, love the people around me well, that the why would be what it's supposed to be. That the why would be, Jesus, I want to know you more. Jesus, you're amazing, and I have only begun to scratch the surface of who you are, and I want to know you more. So God, help help me to protect that place, the place of intimacy with you, the place of discovering, the place of being able to hear your voice and to know it the place of nothing in the way. Nothing in the way. Nothing in my heart that would that would skew or distort the ability to see you. And in seeing you to know you. And in knowing you to be more like you. So God, it's my prayer tonight that you would increase our love for you. Because love is the only thing that can take us there. Love is the only thing that can help us to protect that place of knowing you. Love is the only thing that can Help us to live in your grace when we don't deserve it. To extend your grace. To bless instead of curse. To choose to say no to that which is fleeting and wasting away for something far greater. So Jesus, help us to love. And if we're struggling, God, bring us back to that place where you first loved us. God, I thank you that each life in this room you went to the cross for. Each life in this room you're speaking right now and you're saying I love you with an everlasting love. If that's not your reality tonight, I want to invite you. There's no excuse, no rebuttal, no evidence against you that could outweigh, overpower God's love for you and what he's done so that you could know him. I want to invite you tonight if 
if for the first time or all over again that you would receive that. It's true. It's here. It's for you. He's not withholding. Jesus, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for this moment that in the pain and in the agony and in the ugliness of this moment, beauty was beauty was born. Your love was being cemented for us. Tonight we come to the table to receive. We come to receive your body broken and your blood poured out. The deepest expression of your love for us. And with that, God, we come to receive your forgiveness, your grace, and your call to walk in your glory. We receive again tonight your forgiveness and your grace and your call to walk in your glory, to walk in the manner that you've made available to us through your sacrifice and through your spirit in us. So God, as we come and we take the bread, and as we drink the juice, God, we ask that you would empower us. You would empower us with your presence. Thank you, Jesus. When you're ready, you can come and receive tonight.